Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wool on us. Facing and taking on all the plates and pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Okay, uh, if you've been even partially paying attention to the news in the past week or so, uh, by now you must have heard about the huge mess between Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Uh, I've written a bunch of stuff about it on TechDirt, uh, and I should note that uh, more and more pieces of this story keep coming out, and we're recording this on Thursday the 22nd, so it's entirely possible that new things will come out between now and when we release this podcast on Tuesday. Um, if something really big comes, there may be an intro before this, in which case you would have already heard it. But anyways, um, I, I did want to dig in on this topic because as I've written, I fear that a lot of people are getting uh, many of the details wrong and they're getting them wrong in ways that actually matter quite a bit. Uh, and because they're getting them wrong, it means that the various solutions, uh, and I put that in quotation marks, that people come up with are going to create even bigger problems and they're not going to solve the problem that they think they're solving. Uh, indeed, after five days of silence, when Mark Zuckerberg finally spoke up about this, his own solution is to basically lock down data even more, giving Facebook even more control, which I actually think is a backwards kind of solution. Uh, but much of it is driven by the false belief that being open or having data portability is somehow in conflict with uh, protecting users' privacy. I don't think that's true. Uh, it's, I think it's only true if the central entity, in this case Facebook, feels that it needs to control all the data rather than handing more control over to the users. Uh, as I noted, uh, many people are incorrectly thinking of this as a problem in which Facebook either sold their data or leaked their data, but I don't think that's accurate. Facebook doesn't actually sell its data, despite what many people will tell you. Um, it sells access to its users based on the data, and that's actually very, very different. Uh, the data that it does share is not to people who are paying for advertising, but rather it opened up some data via its APIs to app developers. And there was good reason to do this. Uh, Facebook was trying to build itself up as a platform, and the ability for people to build useful apps required access to the data that could flow into those applications, making the process somewhat seamless. But where I think Facebook actually did fall down was first in not making sure that the apps in question actually needed the data to do what they were claiming to do. Uh, and then second, not providing significantly more transparency and granular control to the end users. If users knew that some random company offering a personality test had swiped not just your own Facebook messages and likes and all sorts of information, uh, but also took all of your friends' information also, um, they would probably have been a little bit more upset about it but they should have been alerted to that and that that was happening. And they should have had uh, better controls to block such uses of their data. So through all of this, I'm kind of worried that the misunderstanding uh, that people are having about this is leading to bad results that we're going to regret. This is not to say 
that Facebook is blameless. I know some people have accused me of that, but I don't think that's true. I think Facebook made lots of mistakes. But if we're going to blame the company, it should be over things that it actually did wrong. So to talk about this today, we've got our usual co-hosts, Hirsch Reddy and Dennis Yang, along with a guest, Catherine Bracey, who has been on the podcast a couple times before. Um, Catherine is well-placed to talk about this because she ran the Obama campaign tech office in San Francisco in 2012, and she worked on the campaign's Facebook app, which actually did something somewhat similar to what Facebook is now being slammed for. And back then, the Obama campaign was actually praised for the clever use of Facebook. Uh, of course, there were some slight differences, and they tend to go back to the issue of transparency. But uh, Catherine, let's kick off the discussion with you, since uh, you were involved in these kinds of efforts. And and uh, I, I guess let's start with what's what's your reaction to everything that's happened over the past week or so? Well, I think you, I agree with everything you wrote in your first blog post about outlining the problem. And my real, my first takeaway was not that Facebook is blameless here, but that the way it was being talked about in the media was um, disingenuous at best, um, (laughs) misleading. And I think there are people who are, you know, outraged right now, who are stoking outrage right now, who... Um, also have an agenda here and that it's important to make clear to people who don't understand how Facebook's platform works, um, what is really happening so that we can have the conversation that needs to be had about what Facebook should be doing with your data. Yeah. Uh, And and, and to be clear, I don't mean to cut you off, but just to be clear, because some people, there are a bunch of people I've seen that sort of want to put everyone into camps and, and like, that, you know, people who are, you know, we've been accused of like just defending Facebook, which is not true. Like we've, we've criticized a whole bunch of things related to Facebook and you're not saying that Facebook is blameless here, right? Yeah. I'm saying we should be criticizing them for the right things. Okay. Right. Um, And I think it's important to note that there are people who are stoking outrage at Facebook who have also have an agenda. So I just think it's very disingenuous for some people in the mainstream media, for example, um, to, you know, be talking about this as a breach, for example, or, I mean, they're, they're trying, they're playing on people's um, anger at Trump having been elected president and they're looking for people to blame. And frankly, the media is, is, has a stake in not taking any of the blame themselves. And I would argue that they probably played a much larger role in getting Trump elected just based on their coverage of the campaign than Facebook did. So that's the kind of thing I mean. I also think that there are democratic politicians who are all of a sudden, angry about Facebook's platform policies who probably used the same tools in their elections. So it's just a little bit, I just, I I would like the conversation to be more rational. Maybe that's asking too much. (laughs) Well, that's what we're we're trying to do here. Well, one of my questions is um, when people say that Facebook's response was inadequate, like what, can we just sort of go over for the sake of our listeners, what the response was and why we think it was um, inadequate? Um, well, Mike, you're the journalist here. <laughs> so, well, which which part of the which, there there are different parts of the response, right? So, there there are, there are a number of different elements here, and and so to to go over things for for listeners who maybe haven't paid attention to all the details, um, the the specific issue here is that Facebook's API um, from 2010 until 2015. 
um, allowed app developers to access a whole bunch of data. And it was a very, very open setup. And, um, you know, there were reasons for that in that, you know, Facebook was trying to present itself as a platform that app developers could build sort of complete applications on top of and do all different things, building on the social graph that Facebook enabled. And that's, you know, there were good reasons for that. And that made sense. And, and, and in some ways, you know, um, set things up where, you know, enabled all, all sorts of interesting innovations that I think people actually valued. Um, somewhere along the way, there were concerns raised um, that that API was coughing up too much information. Um, and so in 2014, Facebook said that they were going, they, you know, deprecated that API. And in 2015, they shut it down and they, they released a second version of the API that was much more limited. Um, so that, that, so all of this happened under that first API, which hasn't been around in, in three years now. Um, and what happened was this academic at Cambridge University um, working with this new-ish organization called Cambridge Analytica, set up a, a separate company, I'm blanking the name, GSR Global something research, um, that uh, was actually sort of copying, uh, you know, something else that some academics had done at Cambridge to try and get a bunch of data and basically created a personality quiz app on Facebook, which sucked up all sorts of data. They also paid people through Mechanical Turk to take the personality quiz. Um, but then because of the way the API was, they could suck up not just the data of the people who took it, but all of the data of their friends. Um, and there was a lot of data. And, and eventually this included somewhere in the range of 50 million accounts, um, many of whom did not take the personality quiz. They were just friends with somebody who did. Um, so that's that's the the sort of what happened. Um, Facebook actually first became aware of this potentially being an issue in 2015. Uh, there was a Guardian article that actually revealed most of these details. Um, and Facebook sort of went to Cambridge Analytica and said, hey, this is bad, um, and got Cambridge Analytica to actually say that they – um, certified, whatever that means, that they were not using the data uh, and that they had deleted any of the data that they did have. Um, and and then basically, you know, the same thing was reported again about a year ago. Um, and Facebook basically said we took care of that two years ago. And then this latest report. And so the question is, in terms of Facebook's response, there's like, did Facebook do enough Originally with the API, did Facebook do enough in 2015 when it was revealed that Cambridge Analytica got all this data? Did it do enough last year when the same sort of report came out? And then did it do enough now when this report suddenly caught on and got all this attention? Um, and, you know, a lot of the criticism now is that it's acting, you know, it, it should have done stuff much earlier. And then when this report came out um, last Saturday, that it should have responded more quickly to to it uh, in, in a more concrete way. So that's a, it's, there's a lot of moving pieces here. <laughs> and, and, you know, but most of the summary... But, but people are mad at something. But, but people are very mad at Facebook uh, because they feel that, you know, because they feel like that Facebook had coughed up their data. A lot of people are saying that Facebook sold their data to, you know, help the Trump campaign or whatever, which is, that's not an accurate money, statement at all. Because money never exchanged hands and... Right. There was no, there was no money there was involved. There no selling. Right. right. 
Um, and so, and to some people, that's even worse because now they're saying, "Well, Facebook just coughed up your data." Um, but again, like there were reasons for that, which is that they had this API, which did useful things, and that you know right. that takes me and back. We, to, and we, as people, Facebook users, also put that data into Facebook. Right, right, which is which is the other issue, which is that it is our data, and Facebook has always said it is your data. Um, right. There's just a question of how that data is controlled, who has control over it, and how much transparency there is around it. Right. Because Cambridge Analytica has no data on friends that I do not associate with, not on Facebook. Right. <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't know. It, it, like, that to me feels like the, the crux, maybe the crux of this. Like One of the things that I find kind of surprising or about this whole scandal, I mean, people are, people are calling it a scandal, right? Um, it just seems like this is data that people maybe, maybe we didn't realize what, what data we were sharing on Facebook and how it could have been used. Into, well, into... I, 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 I mean, I think there are things that are a little bit sketchy that, that are worth talking about, which is yeah. that, you know, if so, – so when the Obama campaign did this, right, they did it with an app that was an Obama app. Right. And so right. at least the and it people, was like share with friends, share with your friends or something. Or, right. And so people knew at least to some extent that when they were I doing see. that, that they were, you know, it was for the Obama campaign. And so and, and by and by using the Obama app, I knew that they knew who my friends were or, or whatever. Well, they, they knew they knew something. They knew something about they, me. They, they, they did. I mean, you had to accept all these permissions. Uh, right. When, when you authorized the app and it would say that it was gonna take your friend's data or right. you were giving it access to your friend's data um and the way the application for that for example was so that we could match your friend data against the voter file and right. which again i bet you a lot of people don't know that um when they register to vote that's all publicly available information right um you know i just i wonder to the like what is the extent to which we're gonna where does right. where do, where does the slippery slope end with you know how much transparency you have around where all of your data is? Um, but um, you know we could tell then tell you well it looks like your friend you know Jamie in Florida maybe isn't registered to vote. Can you reach out to Jamie and share you know tell them to go to this voter registration page to make sure they're registered? Um, and that, I mean, the app worked really well for us. I don't, I don't have stats off the top of my head about how many conversions we got or how many registrations we got, but there yeah. was a, a report, um, a study that was done, um, in, in 2012 about the 2010 elections, um, that showed that something like 350,000 people, um, registered or turned out to vote in the midterm elections because of prompts on Facebook. So even, and I think that was before even the social graph stuff was really working the way it was in 2012. So, I mean, it was a really powerful tool and to do good things too. Right. And I think, so, so let's dig in on that. Like, because there's a lot of people now who are insisting that it is, you know, pure evil to have done this. And so let's, let's, let's break out a little bit for, for listeners. Like why, why are there areas where this is good and useful and, and we should be at least thinking about the concerns of, of getting rid of that entirely? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on who you're talking to. Like, <laughs> sure. what, is, what is good and evil? You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I he obviously thought at the time, I remember thinking at the time, oh, that's, wow, they're giving us access to friends data? That's interesting. Um now, I had more of a background in tech policy and expo been exposed to these conversations about 
you know, privacy probably more than some of my colleagues were at the time. But I think mm-hmm. there was still an overriding sense that this was like super powerful, that we were getting access to all this data that was going to help us, you know, get our guy reelected. And I think, you know, um, there's a set of us who um, uh, think that's, uh, you know, the people on this call think that's a good thing, right? Now, when you use those same tools to get Donald Trump elected, people now are looking at that tool as evil and we need to lock it down. That's my concern is that people are going to look at these kinds of platforms as evil in and of themselves and needing to be shut down because of the way that people have applied them. Right. Um, And that's where I, I am like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to like create a little bit more um, clarity in this conversation before we go down that so, path. So you're saying it, it, it would be very easy to write a very similar article kind of applauding the use of social media tactics. They were written. They, I mean, they were. There was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's... After the yeah. election, or yeah. about how great our, you know... Right. Um, like the Obama team did an amazing job. Yeah. And blah, 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 blah. Um, now, we did so ethically. We also, you know, I think that the, the, the problem in this case is that, you know, Cambridge Analytica got this data from, you know, a third party, um, or they were the third party. Um, and that's clearly a violation of at least the terms of service of, of the Facebook platform. So that's really where I see that the, the stark difference between what we did, uh, and what we're talking about in this case. Right. But, but in, in that case, then the, you know, the problem would be with the, the guy Alexander Kogan or, or GSR exactly. and Cambridge Analytica exactly. rather than Facebook. I think there's way too much of a heavy focus on Facebook as the problem yeah. um, as opposed to the bad actors who use these tools in a way right. that they weren't meant to be used for. And Facebook does have a responsibility to uh, negate against those uses of their platform. And I think they were negligent. Um, but to say that Facebook's platform in and of itself is the problem is scary to me. Yeah, and me too. I mean, that's sort of where I come down on this. And so, you know, and, and so far, all of the responses or most of the responses that I've seen from people who are upset about this are talking about, you know, forcing further lockdown of, of data, which even means from end users. So basically giving Facebook more control um, rather than the end users. And that's, in fact, you know, what, what Zuckerberg kept saying. In fact, you know, I, I read four of his interviews um, from, from Wednesday night, and in every one, he's, it's, it's a little bit creepy. He, he has this sort of aw shucks, uh, you know, we thought people liked openness, but I guess they don't like openness, and I guess they prefer us to lock down all their data, so that's where we're going to go. Um, and... I'm not sure that actually is a good thing, um, you know, especially for people who are concerned about maybe Facebook's dominance. Um, you know, this kind of locks them in as the dominant platform. And it also gives end users less ability to, you know, extract their own data or to control their own data because Facebook doesn't want you to have access to, again, your own data anymore. Um, but hold on a second. I mean, I don't think he's saying that it's, um, when he says lock it down, it means lock, lock down and lock it down so that the default preferences aren't sort of like, you know, default share, right? It's more like you will have personal control. You can always give if, permission. If, if, well, I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, they that's haven't. An, I mean, they haven't yeah. done it yet. But so, like one one of one I of the things that he, he could, 
he's going to have to exert, he's going to have to take a step back from openness for sure. And if we remember back to 2010 or whatever, this was celebrated as a win for the open web at the time. Um, and, not, and not only that, I think there was, you know, in 2010, like back then, there was this over, like people were essentially asking people to build their social graph over and over and over again. Um, so like when another right. social network launched, you'd be like, ugh, now I have to refriend everybody. And I think the fact that Facebook adopted this kind of openness to the graph was, I was like, good, because now I don't have to rebuild everything if it's all going to be, you know, I can just basically use Facebook's graph platform as a platform and not re recraft the wheel like every single time um and right. this is but, definitely but that a also, step backwards i mean there are potential concerns about that like i, I sure. agree like i thought that was good for the same reason but then you're also basically you know giving facebook that uh and basically saying like facebook becomes a sort of core um you know uh, element of of the social graph of the internet and you know as a private company is that is that the way we want the internet to grow? But that's probably uh, a separate discussion. Yeah, probably. But well, I mean, I is like it, it. <laughs> it is. I, I didn't read your post about what the policy recommendations uh-huh. are um, that you would like to see implemented. But you know, it, it. You know, anything that comes from the government is going to probably be just because these are the tools that regulators have is going to be a. a, a tools to lock down and protect data, right? I don't think they're going to be tools that I would like to see that actually empower users with their own data, right? So like, for example, one of the things that um, Jonathan Zittrain, who I used to work with at the Berkman Center way back, has been recommending for a long time is that Facebook open up its algorithm to users so that they can design their own newsfeed. That would be super cool. Yes. Um, But like, the government is not going to (laughs) <laughs> that's not a regulation that the government is going to impose on Facebook. Right. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's something that has to come through competitive action in the marketplace. Like but, someone but, else but, has but, to give people but, the ability to do that. But, but here, one thing, let me make a point here, okay. which is that it's not like people didn't realize that this was going to be a problem back then in 2010. And if you looked around in like even 2012, 13 timeframe, there was a number of different, um, independent groups that were trying to make decentralized protocols for social networks, right? There was, there's, I can't remember all the names of them, but, yeah. um, but, but there were several attempts to do that. And some got quite far. There was actually the Google Summer of Code actually sponsored a couple of um, college master students or undergrads that were building one of these. And I remember looking at the code and going, okay, well, they're making progress. But then, you know, guess what? Like, their skill set were in high demand and they just got hired by other companies as soon as they were done with that summer, right? And the project stalled. And I think the issue with sort of like we can hope for an open alternative, but Facebook has so much momentum. And like, I think we all realize this, right? And so the most powerful thing here is consumer choice. And the only way we're going to get an alternative to Facebook's social graph and have sort of this kind of... Um, uh, a more shareable version of the of, of of our social data is if there's like a very compelling competitor to Facebook that everybody suddenly embraces. Like if Instagram had not been purchased by Facebook, say for example, or if Twitter decided to um, actually Twitter doesn't quite have the exact same kind of a social graph, but somebody like a Twitter, if they were to share their um, their graph, um, that that would that would be the solution. But 
but the most credible competitors to Facebook are the Chinese competitors, and they're if anything even more sure. monopolistic in their treatment of data, right? So there's a question, and I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. But then, is there some antitrust something here? Uh, um. Well, the, the the real interesting thing here is that because of this this issue has now happened, um, they, Facebook can make this very credible claim now that the reason they couldn't do that is because of these competing interests, public interests, um, from and specifically FT, the threat of FTC action, right? That would force them to close the data down. So it's it's almost like the news cycle has granted Facebook like a very nice, yeah. <laughs> strategically a very nice uh, out. If there ever were an antitrust sort of um, action against them, they'd be like, "No, we didn't do it for the for the sake of sort of anti-market uh, reasons. We did it because we're safeguarding our users, and this is the the nature of the data, and it's mm-hmm. as precious yeah. as your bank bank account." And and, and that's the concern is actually it it turns it into a bigger antitrust problem in terms of reality, um, but it won't be treated as an antitrust problem. It'll be treated as a privacy issue, um, and so you know that's my concern. I mean, my my solution ideas are basically the same as, as Catherine, what you were saying, what Jonathan's been talking about, what Cory Doctorow has been talking about, which is, you know, empower the end users and empower third parties to, to, to give more tools to those end users to do things, whether it's creating your own newsfeed or even, you know, tools for you to better manage your, your own privacy settings and your own, you know, how your data is shared uh, and give you better visibility. Don't let Facebook be the sole source of, of managing your, your data. Um, but Where, like, at what point, though, does Mark Zuckerberg make the calculation that it's costing him more money not to do those things? Do you think he has that? He has that imagination, right? Like, <laughs> he could he can see a path to a version of Facebook where the user has that much power. Yeah, um, I, I think I think there. Well, I mean, I think there are a few different things, and and you know, who knows? None of us know Mark well enough to, you know, he's, he's obviously very smart and I think he, he is pretty good at, at, you know, seeing how some of these things play out and larger trends. He may miss some of the, you know, like why this was such a big deal. He seemed to have missed, but, um, you know, I think, well, don't know that he missed it. Right. Yeah. Well, calculation that it wasn't something that they needed to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he, well, he missed how people would react to it at least, but, um, um, you know, I, I think it's a harder argument for them to make because that one, though maybe, well, who knows? Um, you know, I, I think Facebook shareholders would potentially freak out because basically you're saying we are going to hand every individual the tools to block Facebook advertising effectively uh, and realistically to you know, uh, enable competitors to Facebook, which is realistically what you would be doing if you were to enable this properly. Um, and Facebook, I think has actually has been pretty, you know, so there's, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a case, um, that Facebook sued this company called power.com. And I don't know how familiar any of you are, if at all, with, with this case. But a few few years ago, this is now like almost a decade ago, um, this company called Power.com came along and they were trying to set up a dashboard that would let you see all your different social networks in one screen. And so, um, you know, they just had a system that would go in and effectively, you know, you would you would provide power with your credentials and it would log in and then put all of your different 
um, social networks in, in one place. And Facebook actually sued them under the CFAA, which is like a anti-hacking law, um, and said that this was effectively criminal hacking, even though there was no hacking. The end users were providing their credentials and doing this and giving power dot com permission to log into their Facebook account. Um, and Facebook actually won that lawsuit, uh, which was, uh, it went on for many years, it was only recently, um, that was finally decided. And that's, I think, a bad result. You know, I, I think, you know, if we fix the CFAA, and we actually allowed third parties to, to build these kinds of tools, um, without fear of getting sued into oblivion, or potentially even facing criminal liability, um, you could see some of this happen, but Facebook doesn't want that because it, it, you know, it, it does take away from the sort of walled garden data silo that they have. But is that, that's what, I, what I'm asking is, are the political winds shifting here to the point where they end up losing more? They're, they're, they're exposed to more risk now yeah. than they would be if, if they created some other more empowering version of the product. And, and you could, I mean, could you not charge for that version of the product and say, look, if you want to be hit with all these ads and the algorithm as we think it should be, you can have Facebook for free. If you want to design your own, it costs $200 a year or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I think that that would go against other stuff that, that Mark has said about what what they want to do with Facebook in terms of making it accessible to everyone. Um, but I mean, that's an idea. The problem is, I don't think there's any politicians out there that see it that way, right? I mean, again, the politicians are taking the view that that so many people are taking that that concerned all of us, you know, as we discussed earlier, which is that the problem here was too much data and too much access. And therefore, the only solution that they see is just locking it down. So all of the pressure right now, all of the condemnation is about, you know, the the failure on the part of, of Facebook to protect users' privacy. And therefore, the demands are all for greater lockdown, greater privacy protections. I mean, I've seen a whole bunch of people calling for, um, you know, similar regulations to like the GDPR in, in Europe, which is like this, the data protection statute, which is all about locking down information and has all sorts of um, additional concerns around like free speech and, and who is actually in control of, of data. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would, I would love it if Facebook and Mark realized like that this was a way out. Um, but I don't know that politically it would go over well. In fact, the people who hate Facebook would probably immediately turn around and spin it the wrong way and be like, look, this is Facebook actually opening up more of your data and putting more of your privacy at risk, even though it would actually be the exact opposite of that. Yeah. I think much, <laughs> I was going to say much like Uber, I think <clears throat> Facebook is kind of in this position where almost any stance they take on a policy People will read a motivation into it, right? And, and, and it's very diff it's going to be very difficult for them to not face backlash, no matter what they do. Um, <clears throat> but having said that, I think what 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 were the actual concerns about what Cambridge Analytica did, right? In terms of what they used the data for, that people said was so evil. Was it that they were nudging people with specific by showing them specific ads? Well, this uh, is where it gets it tricky. It, I, you know, I think what people are mad about is that Donald Trump is president. Right. So if he, if he would win, no, this would not be a story. So there's that. I think that's sort of like the least common denominator. Then there's the like, well, 
you, they like illicitly got this data knowing that they shouldn't have it. And then when they got caught, they didn't actually delete it. Like they said they were going to, um, there's that level. Then there's the level of what they said they were doing with it, which was all this like hocus pocus, psychographics, blah, 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 that they weren't actually doing, but they wanted to claim that they were doing because it made them sound better. So, I mean, there's... Yeah, and and that is kind of important. There is this indication that, that I mean, Cambridge Analytica didn't do anything that important to the Trump campaign. Um, and... That, yeah, and there was a lot of, you know, buzzword hocus pocus um, in there as well. But, you know, I, I think I think Catherine's you know, description is exactly right, that it was, you know, people are really just upset that Trump got elected and then are upset about Facebook in general and think that it's bad for privacy just because that's what a whole bunch of people are saying. And therefore, this is bad, but they're not understanding it much beyond that. Yeah, and I think also on the, you know, um, the brand issue, and you raised, uh, you know, like Uber, there's really nothing they can say that is going to make people happy at this point. Um, I think there's just this sense that Facebook is too powerful and too unaccountable. Um, and that's just driving a lot of this lack of trust. Um, like people feel don't like the feeling that this company has so much power over their lives and is answerable to no one. Which, which may be a legitimate concern. Yeah, for sure. But you know, the funny part to me about this is that now it's the Democrats crying about that, but maybe six months ago it was the Republicans crying about yeah. the, sure. so Which is actually we, kind of scary because it might be the one thing that Democrats and Republicans can come to some agreement on. Well, it's only it's it's only scary for Facebook shareholders, right? Like the rest of us. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, the decisions that come out of this are going to impact a whole bunch of other companies. Yeah, it's not just Facebook that's going to fall under whatever regulation. Yeah, and and it's going to hit in in a lot of dangerous ways. And like, I mean, Senator Warner already said yesterday that you know, basically based on the Cambridge Analytics of things he thinks that we need to you know start looking more closely at at rolling back um cda 230 even more which would which would be a, a pretty big disaster for lots of internet companies and lots of people who use the internet to to express themselves and so i think the potential ramifications go way beyond just facebook shareholders well there was that recent uh bill that just passed right yeah uh, what Sesta. was it called? Sesta, which yes. is already rolling back some of that. Yes, I think. I think. The, I think one thing that people should think about is that that these predominantly U.S. companies that that dominate the um, internet in, in at least in the West are are not op- operating kind of a global vacuum, right? It's there's a reason why most of these really big internet companies are in the United States and not in Europe, and I think it's partially because. The United States, because of the way um, intermediary uh, liability worked and probably access to capital, et cetera, it was just an easier place to start Internet companies. You know, there's pro- you know, there's a lot of uh, factors here, so I, I'm probably simplifying. There's also access to talent, um, the ease of getting people over from on H-1Bs, et cetera, as well. But, you know, that was a big part of it. Right. Like having very clear rules about how liability falls so that you could build up these large um, services that had user generated content. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, 
if you look at what will happen if these companies get hamstrung, it's that in the other markets outside China and outside the United States where these battles are being waged, um, I really think American companies will be handicapped, right? And um, I know, Mike, you were not a big fan of the TPP. I think we disagreed on that. But I think that one of the advantages of the TPP was that it was going to open up a large Pacific market for American companies, which right now um, is not open in the same way, right? It's just a larger addressable market. The Chinese market is just so much bigger. It, it, it gives Chinese companies, internet companies, a huge backyard to play in from which they can then launch international products. I, I think somebody just gave me a stat recently, which was that um, on, on Cyber Monday last year, uh, all American retailers together sold $7 billion worth of goods. And Alibaba alone, on their equivalent shopping holiday, which is called Singles Day, sold $25 billion worth of goods. Right? More than three times as much as all U.S. retailers sold online on Cyber Monday. So it, just the scale of the Chinese market and Indian market is so big that what essentially happens is that they can comfortably, you know, under the umbrella of the Chinese Communist Party, incubate these giant, sophisticated platforms um, and then secure in the knowledge that, like, you know, they're not going to have to compete with anybody else. And then they take these products and then they launch them in Indonesia, in India, in all these other markets, Australia, right? Everywhere where they have free trade access, um, these heavily capitalized companies come in. And, and, meanwhile, and they're sort of like their national champions for the Chinese, right? And by the way, there's a strategic side to this too. It's not just that they're fighting over social networks because the same companies that lead on the internet in the United States also happen to be the leaders in um, artificial intelligence, right? And automation, right? So Google, Amazon, Facebook, right? They are also happen to be the pioneers for, for AI, and on the Chinese side, Baidu, Alibaba, et cetera, are the Chinese, um, uh, uh, you could say, like, uh, 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 pioneers in AI there. And they certainly are putting as much money as the American companies are putting into AI, if not more. And if the American companies start, start getting sort of hamstrung in their own sort of native markets, um, I, I, w- I wonder what the world will look like in 15 years. Like, are we going to see, like, instead of... Uh, TensorFlow coming out of Google, it'll be some other framework out of China hosted on Chinese servers. And then sort of all of our automation will essentially be, you know, uh, will be sort of scrutinizable by the Chinese uh, Communist Party, which yeah. at least 10 years ago was a little bit more decentralized. But now with Xi Jinping saying that, you know, I'm one man in control, it's basically like an autocracy, right? Yes. And, and So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed, Hirsch, how you've moved from this only matters for Facebook shareholders to, oh, my God, the Chinese are going to own all our yeah. data. <laughs> but yes, I mean, that's but, but that is a, a relevant point that this has very widespread impact. And if the regulatory response is bad, um, it could, you know, it could have major, major impact and certainly drive, you know, uh, you know, harm U.S. companies, harm U.S. innovation and and open it up for other players in the market, whether it's the Chinese or someone else. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's why this is so important. And that's why it's so frustrating to me, especially that so many people are getting this wrong and sort of just, you know, people are just sort of, you know, dancing on Facebook's grave, even though they don't realize how it's going to come back and, and bite them. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's 
we had challenges making smart reg- internet regulations before the current era we're living in. Yeah. Like I, I, I shudder to think what kind of, you know, jingoistic, you know, regulation would come out of the current political environment, just bad and in more ways than just not understanding how the technology works. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the summary is it's bad. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And honestly, I don't know that anyone at Facebook, they, you know, their lack of transparency is a real issue in that sense, because they're not giving us any indication that they have thought this through to that extent. Um, Oh, they definitely like, have. They have very well. Small no, so here's here's. Why are they being so dumb about it then? Yeah, I, 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 well, I don't. I don't think. I mean, look, they might be playing 4D chess here. Right? Like we're working this out on our podcast right now, but I think these guys have probably wargamed this. Well, um, but I, I don't see. I think you're giving them too much. Yeah, credit. I think you're giving them too much credit. There are there are some people who <laughs> who definitely are are smart and intelligent and, and know what's going on, but it, you know, at, at an organizational level, I mean, so there's this separate issue, which is like. Um, Last month or so, there was this uh, Wired cover story um, about, like, the last two years at Facebook, which is sort of like – suppose this is all before the Cambridge Analytica stuff, all about, like, the sort of apparent, like, you know, waking up of Facebook to, to recognizing how, how the platform was potentially abused. Um, and it's a really, really interesting cover story. It's well-reported and well-written. But there was a part that really bothered me, and I wrote about this a few weeks ago, which was that – Throughout the the piece, multiple times they mention that um, within Facebook, uh, you know, they they refuse to sort of take steps to mitigate any of the you know potential abuse of the platform because they believe that under CDA 230, if they did that, they would become liable, which is exactly the opposite of what CDA 230 says. CDA 230 says you know you you are not liable for the actions that you do take, um, and so you know I sort of hit against hit back against wired for for misreporting and and completely getting the the 230 analysis completely backwards um and what i heard then in response from multiple people at facebook is that what they were told internally in facebook by the sort of policy and legal teams was was exactly what was in that article and so what the article was reporting was what facebook believed which is Wrong, like literally wrong. Well, look, Mazik, there's what the law actually says, and then there's the way the jurisprudence actually. Sure, and, out, and, right? and 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 there and and I, you could list out the hundreds of cases that support what the law says, as in that they are there is no liability for them to have taken action. It is it is clear there's it was not in dispute. It was not up for up for discussion. And I, you, I think no, but Mazik, look, it, it depends, right? Like. If, as an intermediary, you showed actions that show that you had absolute knowledge of something occurring, you can no longer sort of rely no, on... No, wrong, wrong, wrong. That's not what the law said. That's not what the case law said, right? It, it was if you, if you created content that was itself illegal, then you were liable. But that's different than having knowledge. Knowledge was not the standard. You could have knowledge. You could have knowledge of illegal content on your platform and not be liable for it. And related to that, though, if you took action to moderate some of that content and missed some, you were not liable for it. And that was absolutely clear. Is that, is that, is that true even if you're monetizing the content? Yes. Hmm. 
And see, but that, this is the thing. Like, know more about this thing. And 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 you're the lawyer, right? And so, you know, not, hey, man, I'm not. I'm not. I know. I, I know. I'm missing. I don't. It's not my area of law. <laughs> I know. I know. But but is there? But, is there I'm asking as the non-lawyer here. Is there a way in which CDA 230 actually has this weird, unintended, negative consequence of? forcing platform companies to just hold really hard and fast to that. We're just a platform. We're just a platform. No, no. But I think, I think the issue is, is that some companies, including apparently Facebook believed that, um, and that's wrong. And, and so, but I, I think it was a misinterpretation. And I think this is a big mistake that has created this, this, um, part of where we are now. I mean, there are other issues as well, but part of it is this belief that in, in, and, and there are a lot of people out there, including people who work at Facebook, who told me this believe that if they showed any sort of non neutrality in terms of how they ran their platform, um, or made a mistake in how they moderated content that they would lose two thirties protections, which is, I, I find it so hard to believe Masnick. I, like, I do too. And if, but if it is true, like, malpractice level if you're a lawyer <laughs> and you were misinterpreting the central yeah. legal yeah. like legislation sense. that regulates your industry that poorly why do you still have a job dude i, I find that really hard to believe man like, like uh, they have I, I know some of the lawyers there and they're good lawyers like i, I don't I, 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 I don't know who is responsible for getting this message out there within Facebook. It, it may have been the legal team. It may have been the policy team. It may have been a combination of both. But but I'm I'm shocked by that as well because I, I – like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use like a charitable maybe analysis of how this works. Like the okay. lawyers are going to give you the most risk-averse interpretation. Yes. yes. So – no, I like, don't think that's uh, look. I used well, to be well, the, 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 You don't do that. You give them the interpretation that's defensible if it improves the business operations. Well, so you, the, just, there, you don't go that. No, no, but there, there is there is a there is a a charitable uh, interpretation of this, which is that CDA two thirty is well two things. Um, CDA two thirty only covers some things. It does not cover intellectual property. It does not cover a few other things. Intellectual property law has different rules. Um, also, CDA 230 only covers the United States. Facebook is a global platform. And in most other jurisdictions, there are knowledge standards and there are uh, potential there liability See, issues. You just explained it. And you therefore, it. It, it is, there is a charitable explanation, which is that they may have been told that you know, on a global basis, uh, we should not do any sort of – But of guess this. what? That's probably the right answer, Mazdaq, for a global company. Yes, but if it f- completely fucks up stuff in the United States, no, I mean, but that doesn't matter, dude. You have to—they they can't have three different versions of the platform, right? Like sure. or four or whatever. Well, they, how many but they, they, need, they right? do. I mean, I, I don't know if you're. That they don't have big, separate content. Uh, like they don't have separate sort of uh, newsfeed and content algorithms they or do. policies. They certainly do. Uh, they absolutely do. I mean, Germany has hate speech laws that the U.S. doesn't have, and and Facebook will filter out things that are considered hate speech in Germany that they won't filter out elsewhere. I mean, they, they definitely do. Mm. So, I, I mean, it's, yeah. I, I mean, we can, but, this, this is a, a rabbit hole and we've already gone on yeah, for quite a while. <laughs> so yeah. let's, let's just, let's, let's bring this back <laughs> I'm, I'm around. I'm entertained. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's bring this back around and I think cl- close up this, this podcast. You know, I, 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 there are issues here. There are issues that are worth discussing. But 
so much of the discussion so far, I mean, this discussion was interesting. This discussion got to the real issues, but I, I uh, patting ourselves on the back, but you know, I think that most of the discussion, as, as we said at the beginning, are not focused on these issues. And, and not only that are, are so focused on the wrong issues that they're, they, they're, you know, describing what happened incorrectly and they're thinking up solutions to the problems that didn't exist. And the end result may create even more harm just as, the whatever Facebook interpretation for whatever reason for CDA 230 had, you know, is now created a situation where we're actually going to make the situation even worse for, for everybody else also. Um, and so I don't, I don't even know what else to close out on other than this is bad. <laughs> and it would be nice if people actually took the time to understand what actually happened. That's very true. And and I think for, you know, a shout out to people who have at least been consistent since the beginning about what the risks were here and have been banging this drum sure. um, for the last, you know, whatever, five or so years. Um, uh, maybe they will be taken more seriously in this conversation now. Well, um, we'll see. It, it it really does feel like this has just become an opportunity for people who hate Facebook for the sake of Facebook to uh, to you know drive in knives. <laughs> yeah. so, yep. So, anyways, um, uh, guys, thanks so much for taking the time and having this discussion, which was fun if slightly depressing. <laughs> um, and uh, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back next week. It was a pleasure. Bye. 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 Bye